Let's just begin our time sharing the word just with a time of prayer. Father, you've already been so good to us this morning. We just want to take this brief time, Lord, to look into your word, to glean wisdom, uh, to, to glean uh, both affirmation, but also some inspiration. That from where we are, Lord, you have great intentions to move us to even something better. So we, we ask that you give us ears to hear and a heart that's receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, did I forget any announcements? Make sure. Well, we have Pastor Todd and Eric and his bride and family are probably seeking Jesus this morning, too, out of town. What's that? Good. Excellent. So, I don't know about you, but it feels like, it feels like Christmas is like a distant memory right now. Maybe, y'all, maybe your life doesn't move as fast as my, that's something about age, I think. But it feels like, what's, how long has it been? Two weeks? Three weeks? I don't know, but it seems, feels like Christmas is already in the rearview mirror and we're heading into the, into the new year, right? How many of you have made resolutions for the new year? Oh, come on now, y'all, come on. No resolutions? There's a resolution. She resolved not to make any, Okay. See, I, I want to, I know how much bad, bad rap resolutions get. I want to, I just want to introduce maybe a different idea. I think the change of seasons was built into God's creation that it would stimulate our, our motivation. As I've, I, my brother was stationed years ago in Hawaii and he said the thing he had the hardest time getting used to, there was no change of season. Now, you know, we think, great, 72 degrees, tough on you. But, but he said it was like it wasn't the same. And I think that God has built into the creation that we would take stock every few months so that we don't get stuck in a rut, that we think about and stimulate something new in life because life can get pretty boring, right? Unless something gets put in front of us that's new. So even if it's not about making a new resolution, I'm going to give you maybe another option to consider. Our text this morning is taken from Luke 9. So if you have your Bible app or if you have your Bible, uh, that particular scripture we're also going to share up here. So let's get a backdrop. Um, Pastor Eric looked into Luke in the Christmas uh, to know about the birth of Jesus. This is going to be kind of a fast forward to chapter 9. This is more about the life of Jesus. Because he immediately from birth was something special. He was someone different. We know that because he was prophesied and because even the wise men showed up. By the way, that was probably one to two years after his birth, if you actually look at the record. But the point is, there was something special about this one. No one else on earth is like Jesus. That's that's what makes our faith different. If we don't study and understand Jesus... We may attempt to be doers of him without actually knowing him. So one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do, maybe this season and and into the new year, is to getting to know him better. And there's a variety of ways we can do that. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. In Luke 2, we see see Jesus, even at the young age of 12, he was teaching in the temple. He was always about his father's business. He impressed the, the, the men there with his knowledge of Scripture. Now, some could say, okay, of course, he was Jesus. He wrote it. 
Yes, he did. But apparently in his humility, he adopted fully the, the, the walk of a man. He was born of a woman. He was taught by men. He had to study scripture like we do. He actually humbled himself to honor his father to walk the same steps that then he says to us, okay, now you do it. I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done. So he was even teaching scripture at 12. Then in Luke 4, and again, I'm just doing a fast forward of, of Luke because there's a lot of great stuff in Luke. Any place in the gospels is good. In Luke 4, we see him humble himself. Now he's a man of 30. He, he is now walking into his calling, but not until he was 30. There was a time for walking into your calling, a point in time. He, he approached his cousin and said, I, I want you to baptize me. Well, that was an act of humility because if anybody didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus, right? Because John baptized for the remission of sins. Jesus didn't have any sin. But again, he was demonstrating to us, do as I do. So he goes, he gets baptized, he comes out, he heads off into a mountain alone, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. There we see him tempted by the enemy, the same enemy that tempts us. But how did Jesus respond? He responded with the power of the word. He knew scripture. He responded and resisted temptation again so he could maintain that perfect obedience to his father. Before I go any further, I know that I'm gonna, for the next couple minutes, I'm gonna speak of a very high standard of living and a high standard of thinking. And I'm asking you not to dismiss this that I can't do this or I'm not called to do this. If your bar is Jesus and you hit him 90%, you're gonna be one of the greatest people to ever live. But I do know one thing, if you set the bar at 50%, you'll never be any better. It's okay to set the bar high and miss. It's not okay to lower the bar and dismiss Jesus as something that's unattainable. In Luke 5 through 8, we see him teaching. We see him healing. Uh, we see him casting out demons. Uh, we see him confounding the wisdom of the men by giving the wisdom of God. Every place he goes, somebody's trying to test him, right? Some of you maybe have experienced that. In Luke 8 alone, just that one chapter, we see him calming a raging storm. He heals a man from a legion of demons. That hadn't been done before. Now, it did cost 2,000 pigs their lives, but he thought that was a good sacrifice. Not everybody was happy with that, right? The point is, he was doing what his father said to do. He was casting out demons and healing in the father's name. We also see him heal a woman of a, of a blood discharge that she had had for 12 years. Some of you have had infirmities that have lasted even longer than that. I do know personally that Jesus can heal. I, can't, I, I won't guarantee to you when and how, but I do know that he is the only one who can in many situations. We also see him in that same chapter raise a child from the dead. Have any of you witnessed that? Now see, that sounds like a silly question, but I know some of you have been on missions in other countries, Africa, Asia. These miracles still happen, folks. They're not just ancient readings. They do still happen. And when we get to Luke 9, 
Just because here's one more he hadn't, hadn't shown before. He fed 5,000 people with four loaves and two fish. And a few weeks later, the same size crowd, a little smaller, came and, and the disciples like, how are we going to feed them? Jesus said, did you learn nothing? <laughs> See, I feel like I'm the same way. He shows me how great he is, and then two weeks later, I just totally forgot what he taught me. But that's part of the journey. So let's pick up at, let's pick up at Luke chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went into a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So why Jerusalem? And how does it relate to us today? Most of us have never been to Jerusalem. We see it on the news. We hear about it. But it doesn't really carry a significance for us. Uh, so when Pastor Eric asked me if I could... Uh, you know, share, share this Sunday a few months ago, probably the worst thing somebody can do, the hardest thing for me is say, preach on whatever you want. Can I have a little guideline? Just narrow it down for me. No, 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 just let the Lord lead you. I ran across this scripture again. It's familiar. You guys have heard it. In fact, if you were here four years ago, I actually preached on it. And I forgot that I'd preached on it. But there's something about he set his face to Jerusalem that still speaks to me. Every time I see it in print and I come across it, there's something about he set his face to Jerusalem. Now, I went back, looked at my notes, and realized that's a whole different message. I don't even want any of that, and that's good. See, God's word is, is fresh. I don't want you, not a show of hands, but, well, no, I won't do a show of hands. A lot of you have read the Bible all the way through. But here's a show of hands. How many of you read something a second time or third time and got something fresh out of it? Okay. That's because his word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is constantly working in your spirit if you will actively put yourself in front of it. It's amazing. He'll even show you stuff you weren't looking for. Let's talk about just a Jerusalem for a moment. Jerusalem was established by David under God's direction as the capital of the Jewish nation almost a thousand years before Jesus. His son Solomon built the temple and it served as a cultural place of worship for centuries. It was a place built to glorify God in all the earth. Even today, the three major monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all claim Jerusalem as being their holy city. Now, Islam, Mecca, has, is a step above. But all of them, that's really where the battle is over there. Because whoever has the heart and the, and the occupation and the power of Jerusalem is believed to have the heart of God and have God behind them. It was also a place where the Jewish cultures would come together at various feasts and rituals that God instituted for his glory and our blessing. So at the time Jesus made this statement or he was turning his face to Jerusalem, it was approaching the time of Passover celebration. Now, Pastor Eric is going to, I'm actually kind of fast forwarding you to Easter. Because I don't know how many of you know, in, in Pastor Eric's world and other pastors, once Christmas is, is in, in, again, in the rearview mirror, you're already looking to Easter. You're already planning and you're looking at your sermons. 
So I'm just helping prepare his way because this is really about, this is really about what comes at Easter. We've celebrated the birth of Jesus, but now we, we need to begin to, to celebrate the walk unto the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's who we are as Christians, folks. If you want a guideline on where we're at, that's, that's, that's what he's called us to do. He approached this town knowing, this city, knowing it was the place, the celebration of Passover, except now he would become the Passover lamb. It was his blood that would be spilled. Hebrews 9 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? How will it purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, the power is still in the blood. But sometimes we, we forget and try to put the power into our good works. The power is in the blood. That's so refreshing because I don't have to be good enough to be redeemed. But because I'm redeemed, he calls me to ask the, ask the question, okay, what now? It's not enough to just be saved. It gives God glory for us to be saved. I think it continues to give him glory that we choose to live for him. By the way, there are some of you out here who live, who live better for Christ than I do. So I don't want you to hear these words as a man who's got it all together and who does it perfectly. But I do know, I do know who the mark is. I do know who the mark is. And my intention is to live toward the mark the rest of my life until I die and I'm resurrected and I get to live with him the rest of the time anyway. Praise God. Jerusalem for Jesus was a place that the Father called him to go. Let's take a look at the next slide. This is what it involved for him. Is the next slide go? Maybe. <laughs> There's a couple of things that we want to think about this, this journey for Jerusalem. The first thing is it took him out of his comfort zone. See, up till then, most of his time was spent in the outlying areas. Now, there was a few people who gave him a hard time. They questioned him. But for the most part, he was walking and surrounding and healing and casting out. People were just all over him. It was a comfort zone. He was like a free walking preacher all around the countryside. Everybody loved him for the most part. He didn't have those powerful dissenting politicians slash priests over top of him like he would in Jerusalem. So in order to go to Jerusalem, he had to choose to get out of his comfort zone. It was also a journey of resistance and sacrifice. You see, the Samaritans rejected him because every year these people from Galilee and the surrounding areas would pass through Samaria to go to Jerusalem. They'd use up their resources, and they didn't, the, the Jews for the most part didn't like the Samaritans and vice versa. So it, that's why the scripture says, and they rejected him. And it must have been pretty overt rejection of these Samaritans because James and John, a few verses later, say, well, well, Jesus, do you want us to bring lightning down and strike them dead? 
So there must have, they must have really disparaged and, and just gave Jesus a cold shoulder at the very least. Of course, Jesus kind of, you know, I just imagine him shaking his head like, have I taught you nothing? No, I don't want you to kill him. <laughs> but some of us would, you know, we might want to bring the thunderclap out and do something. Jesus was also, one more thing, in order to make this journey, he was motivated by his father's calling. See, some of us might head toward Jerusalem, and as soon as we got the resistance or people started chastising us, making us fun, it kind of shuts us down. I can tell you, when I, when I first, first came to, to Jesus, I was pretty obnoxious, I think, to most of the people around me. And there's a few times I really got struck down because my heart was exuberant, but I wasn't wise. And the response I got from them sometimes was like, See, Jesus' motivation wasn't to please men. It was to honor his father. And finally, that doesn't get as much advertising because we kind of know about the cross and we know about the pain that he endured. We knew about the internal struggle in the garden the night before where he sweat blood because he was so anxious and so much didn't want to do this, but by his father's will, he would. Jerusalem was also a place of resurrection, See, most of us think about, I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to, it was a place of new life. He was glorified in Jerusalem. Where he was willing to put himself to death, the Father glorified him, and we still praise him today, 2,000 years later. Amen? I guess some of y'all know where I'm going with this because I'm just a simple, straightforward kind of teacher here. So how does this relate to us today? If this is the motivation of Jesus, he had to go through sacrifices, how does it relate to us today? I'm suggesting, well, let me ask you something different. Hang on a second. What do you have your face set toward? I don't mean what are your interests. You know, maybe you want to lose a few pounds. I'm all about that. Maybe there's something, but what do you have your face set toward? See, there's something about that word, what you set your face toward. Psalm 27, David wrote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and verse seven says, hear, O Lord, when I cry loud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. Hide not your face from me. We know that Moses requested, even before David, Lord, let me see your face. His face, the, the face of glory was even too much for Moses to look at. But God said, I'll set you in a cliff of a rock and I'll cover you as my glory passes you by. But you can't even see my face. You can't even get there yet. I'm suggesting that whatever you set your face to, it speaks to your affection. Whatever you set your face to, it speaks to your affection. That's true of all of us. The affection of Jesus was to honor his father and to love us. Now, if you ask me, if you ask me 30 years ago, what did I set my face toward? It was finally getting up to the altar and marrying that woman. 
30 years in May. But in January of that year, I just want to get to the wedding. It already been planned out. It, it had been talked about. I'm like, How about, are you guys with me? Let's just get to it. Let's just get to the wedding. Let's get this done. That was 30 years ago. If you'd asked me 25 years ago, my face was set to making money. Trying to continue a fourth generation restaurant, trying to make it bigger and better and whatever than my predecessors had. 25 years ago, my face was mostly set toward prideful accomplishment. And it was set toward feeding my addiction. It's hard to, to, to describe your addiction as your affection because I absolutely hated it, but I also kept setting my face toward it because something about it I loved. For that season of my life, it was my Jesus. False God, idol. If some of you are wrestling with that and your face is set toward getting your fix, maybe time to get some help. You want to come talk to me privately? That's your, that's your situation. I'd love to, love to receive you and we'll make a plan. 20 years ago when the Lord apprehended me, that's... I take that from, from Brennan Manning. I love when he, first time I heard him say that, the Lord apprehended me in a small cottage, you know. The Lord apprehended me. My face was set to him. I didn't know how. I, I was guilt-ridden over the life I'd lived. I knew I just wanted to be better, but my face began to turn toward him. I will say in the last 20 years, my face has been distracted, even through ministry at times with accomplishment and trying to get better and but the older I get, my face continues now to turn more toward him. I want to trust him this year. I want to trust him through the trials. I want to believe that what he says is true. I want to believe that when I lay hands on someone and pray for them in Jesus' name, that they're going to be healed. I'm going to believe and trust that God is going to restore marriages that everybody else said, you're crazy. It'll never work. See, I want to believe the miracles because even if I miss one, he's still going to give me some. But I also believe that if I fail to ask and don't have the faith to even ask anymore, I'll miss my miracles. And I say my miracles, you understand what I mean? There's things that are important and God's put on your heart. They're your miracles. Don't lose faith in asking. And if you start to lose faith, then ask somebody else to pray with you. You can feed off of their faith until yours gets back to where it's supposed to go. That's why we need each other. If you want to set some practical goals this year, there's nothing wrong with that. I commend. You want to take some weight off? You want to take better care of your body? You want to set some small goals? That's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm suggesting something different and greater. Decide what you're going to set your face toward. If Jerusalem was what Jesus set his face toward, then I believe we're called to set our face toward Jesus. For some of us, that means we need to move from being curious about him to deciding to become more committed. You know, maybe coming to church every two, three months is okay for you. I'm just looking for a place for progress, not perfection, but maybe you need to commit 
at a deeper level. Maybe instead of being a fan, as you guys have heard that expression, I think Austin shared it with you, instead of being a fan, maybe you decide, I'm going to become a follower. When I come across something he says to do, I'm going to try, even if I fail. But I'm not going to be a fan. I'm not going to sit in the seats like I do when I go to a Ravens game or an Oral game and just cheer for those guys playing. I want to become one of those guys, whatever that looks like. And finally, if I have been a follower, and I know many of you, some of you are preaching to the choir, some of you have been followers for years, maybe we commit and set our face to becoming a disciple. Now here's the distinction I make. As a follower, I believe everything he says. I also try to follow what he says. But as a disciple, I want to become more like him. I want everything of his essence to become part of me. If he forgives, then I want to forgive. If he loves his enemy, then I want to love my enemy. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to set an impossible bar that my wife will tell you I'm not going to hit. And I'm okay with that. Because the alternative is to slowly degrade and just become a man as I'm entering the presence of Jesus. I don't want to coast into, I don't want to just coast into that meeting. There will be a day when you will come face to face and the same face that's set toward Jerusalem will now be facing you, the object of his affection. And it is his desire for you to have already committed to him because at the time you come face to face with him, grace, grace is over. See, we think of God's grace as being eternal and never giving up. Maybe you heard me say this a few months ago, but a, but a deep revelation, it's a little scary. Grace is not eternal. Grace is unto death, and then grace is over. Then you face judgment. Now, if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've asked him into our lives, forgiveness of our sins. We've declared that he is true, that he has been persecuted and died for our sins and raised from the dead by the glory of God, if we, can, if we can own all that, there will be no more judgment. There will only be life. So let's not wait until it's too late. The journey for us is going to look the same as it did for him in many ways. Let's put them all up there. It's going to take us out of our comfort zone. There will be resistance <laughs> and sacrifice I love what Pam asked to do. She not only asked the women to consider coming. Guys, did you hear what else she asked? What the Lord said, that this would be a time when the men, we could commit to some sacrifice in a couple hours on Saturday to bless our wives with, with their journey. I'm going to do my best to, to, to uh, hang out with my grandchildren for two hours. And, you know, that's not a real huge sacrifice, by the way. You all see me. So I, I can't pump. I can't pump. <laughs> Yeah, some days it will be a sacrifice. But what I'm saying is, you know, I, my, my son-in-law can't always, you know, his work schedule just won't allow him to be there. But between the two of us, we're, we're going to make sure that the kids are covered because we want Kendall to be able to be there. And I want my wife to be there. So, so, so I hang out with the kids. It's, not a, it's really a blessing. So guys, just consider that may be a way you want to sacrifice. The last two up there. As you turn toward Jesus, 
it's important to continue to know more about him because there's days you're going to lose your motivation. You ever notice a lot of the things we, we commit to, like for, for New Year's, of course you all don't make New Year's resolutions, so I, can't, I guess I can't use that. But the things we commit to are usually looking to improve our lives. Well, this may ultimately bless us, but not unless something dies. See, committing to Jesus is committing that something's got to die. Something's got to change in me. But he promises every place that a kernel of wheat dies, in fact, if it doesn't die, it can't bear fruit. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there may be something in order to follow Jesus that's got to die in your life. Something's got to change. Don't be afraid of making it massive or making it because the afterflow could be life that you've never experienced. To seek him, to seek Jesus is to honor the Father. People may hate on you for being righteous. They won't get what drives you. But the truth is, you're a new creation in Christ. You have been created or recreated to do his good works. So if, you, if, you're, if you're not doing his good works, then you're kind of wasting the creation. You're wasting the work of the cross. Last thing, as you make this turn toward Jesus, and I, and I hope that you do, for whatever that looks like for you, just know that you're going to have an enemy that wants to derail you. Just anticipate resistance. Don't be shocked when something doesn't go well, when you share your faith with somebody and they laugh at you. That's a, don't expect to not have the same treatment Jesus got. If Jesus got rejected, if he got discarded, it says in Hebrews that we have not yet been, none of us have been asked yet to resist temptation unto blood. So whatever he's asking you to do, it's, it's probably not going to involve you bleeding to death and being, being, being sacrificed. And I'm not being, I'm really not being smart. I'm at a point in my life where everything else he and I can handle. If he asks me to do something and, 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 and I try to do it and it does not perfect, Glory to God, I made my best effort. He loves that. He's much more interested in my obedience and the sacrifice of my heart than he is in the outcome anyway. Because anything he's asked me to do, guess what? He could do without me. But he loves it when I join him in ministry. And even better, when he, he works through me to minister to somebody else. You are a room full of potential and current ministers. Forget the titles and the pastoring and the whatever. You have been called to be ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to one another, right? Well, y'all are excited about that one, okay. So as we close up, just realize that Jesus, according to the scripture, if you want him to do something new in your life, as scripture says, if you want him to pour new wine into the wineskin, he won't pour new wine into old wineskin. The scripture says it'll just burst. So instead of keep asking him for new wine, give me something good, give me better finances, give me this, give me that. How about saying, Lord, make me into a new wineskin that I, I receive you, that I'm a vessel of your mercy. Change how I think and how I operate Change my responses. 
I'll commit to you, Lord. Will you commit to this and help me? I'm not saying you're gonna get miracles after every time you pray, but I'm saying it's that simple. Let's not overcomplicate it. That's turning our face toward Jesus. So as we ask the team to, to come up and uh, enter into communion, I want you guys to do this too. I want them to also participate in this as well. I want to spend about 30 seconds in silence. And I want you to ask God to move you from wherever you're at. Curious, fan, follower, wherever you are, you're all welcome. I want you to ask him, what does he want to move within you? And then I'll close in prayer. Jesus, it's good to be in your presence. We thank you that you hear every prayer offered by your children. Even the ones who are yet to become your children, Lord, you hear us. So we thank you for your faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to continue this conversation beyond today. Help us to set our face toward you. Help us to talk to you, rejoice with you, cry out to you, uh, even, even express our frustrations with you, Lord. Help us, uh, Father, just to become disciples in all areas of our lives. And Lord, as we come forward now to celebrate your death and resurrection, we thank you that you've given us a permanent time, day, and place in history that you said as often as we gather to remember you, remember this event. In Jesus' name, amen.